Welcome back to the 45th episode of the Daily Flip Podcast. I'm your host, Alex, and today we're going to be flipping through some of the top stories, including five bills that the current Congress wants to get passed before the new one comes in in January, a look at our dependence on the Supreme Court for deciding where we're going to go as a society in a case that is bringing up a big question that may need to be answered sooner rather than later. And then for our last article, we're going to talk about the FBI discussing TikTok and the security concerns that have been brought up. And of course, we will finish today with our daily delight, a story meant to leave you feeling positive and ready to take on the day. All right, that's enough rambling from me. Let's get into our first story. Actually, we're going to take a step back. We're going to go with our daily debate, which actually pertains to our first story. This one is an interesting one. I'd love to hear your opinions down in the comment section. Should Congress be able to pass legislation after the elections that had just happened, but before the next Congress is fully formed? The people have already spoken. They've made their wishes for change very clear. So should legislators be able to cram in last-minute bills, spending policies that the people didn't vote for. And there is an interesting aspect to this, which is if the party in power is switching, I think personally they should not be able to. They should not be able to pass any or cram any last-minute legislation through. But then it gets tricky because what if the voters indeed have confidence in the current government and keep the current party that's in power, then are they supposed to just sit there for a month and not do anything when they know the voters like the policies that they're trying to implement? I think it's an interesting question. And if you actually have any solutions to what I just suggested, put them down there because I've been thinking about it myself and I can't think of a good policy that doesn't just outright say, well, if you're the party in power and then it's just going to get very tricky. So if you have a solution, throw it down in the comment section. I'd love to read it. All right. Our first article comes from the Daily Signal. Five things Democrats want to ram through in their lame duck session. And yes, if you can't tell the Daily Signal a little bit conservative, ram through a strong language to start off with. But I think they're, they bring up some interesting things that I don't know if I necessarily agree with. In this transition period between Congresses, normally there's not much that gets done, hence the name lame duck. But this time, Democrats are trying to get through key legislation before they lose the keys to the castle. See what I did there? One example is the Respect for Marriage Act, which just passed in the Senate and is waiting for a House vote. So they got their... Their filibuster proof vote in the Senate out of the way. And since they already, the Democrats already have control of the House, it's presumed that the Respect for Marriage Act is going to make it through and is going to become law. And it overturns or at least amends the 1996 Defense of Marriage Act. So, you know, that's one piece of legislation that they've really slated to the last second. And I don't necessarily know if they needed to, honestly. I think a majority of Americans at this point, the Overton window has shifted so much that a majority of Americans 
are willing to say, yeah, of course people that aren't traditional marriages, gay couples, lesbian couples, non-binary, I don't know what the list is really extended to now, but at the end of the day, I think a lot of Americans would say, let them do what they want to do. If you don't directly affect my life, I, I don't care. If you want to get married, go get married. So I don't know why they waited to do this in the cram session at the end. I think a lot of Americans would have been on board with it. Now, there are some on the Christian side who may not be, but I don't think that would motivate them any more than the populace was already motivated to go vote for the right. So I really don't see why they didn't at least bring this up. I mean, then again, they did bring it up. They did say they wanted to codify uh, gay marriage in law, but I don't know why they waited until the lame duck session to do so. But, you know, it is what it is. Quote, jamming through controversial legislation through Congress during a lame duck session is a troubling practice to begin with. It's becoming increasingly common to bring up more hotly contested legislation that didn't have a chance to be passed when vulnerable legislators had to face an election and the voters. And that actually could be an interesting point uh, that the author brings up here. Maybe a lot of Republican congressmen or senators who voted for the bill were saying, okay, hold on, let's wait until the elections are over, until I've either secured my seat or a Republican has secured my seat afterwards. Maybe there was a little bit of planning between them and the Democrats saying, I'll vote with you because I think this is an important issue, but I don't want to get voted out of office by my constituents, so let's wait until the lame duck session. And I know it's not all back rooms and it's not all conspiracies, but I think there's a genuine concern there because a lot of people that are currently in Congress and in the Senate They care about their jobs, and at the end of the day, sometimes they put their jobs before the people that they're trying to represent. And I'm not trying to be cynical, nihilistic, or like say there's a huge conspiracy. It's just human interest. At the end of the day, they want to keep their job. They want to keep the job that allows them to take months off at a time, get paid to be a public servant, and then also get paid as a lobbyist or build connections so that when they get out of Congress then they'll have the ability to make money for the rest of their lives and support their families. Being a career or professional politician is a possibility, and a lot of these guys are striving for it because at the end of the day, they know that they can be financially secure and they can do the same for their family in the future. But let's get back to the quote here. Democrats, quote, Democrats are so concerned with uh, the democracy that they are scrambling to head off the results of last month's elections, it seems as is often the case. The left cares little about the proper functioning of government when it ha- its priorities are at stake. The Washington Post editorial board called a, on Democrats in Congress to make this lame duck session a mighty one, end quote. And the fact is that it's really becoming more frequent, and that is concerning when it comes to how much certain parties are trying to get pushed through during this lame duck session. And, of course, I did say at the beginning, it's it's rare or not much gets done. That's the old tradition. That's how it was. That's what it was perceived as. You had a, a month to get things in order, change the party leadership, not necessarily do anything too drastic, maybe address some key spending that is bipartisan in nature. But now, over time, these parties have seen that, oh, 
we are going to lose power here. We need to get our agenda passed. And I don't blame any of them for it. It is human nature. If you see that you are losing something, it is very hard to let it go. And you're going to do what you can while you still have it to get what you want. And that's why I would say that even though I wouldn't love for these parties to do what they're doing and to push at the last second to get whatever they want through without the consent of the voters because the voters didn't vote on it. They did not hear that these bills were these bills were not on the campaign trail basically. Voters did not hear that a lot of these bills were going to be jammed through. So their opinion on them was not evaluated at the polls. So how can these legislators truly know that people want some of these policies? Now, of course, there are statistics, like I was talking about earlier with the Respect for Marriage Act, and if you asked a lot of people, they'd probably be okay with that. But at the end of the day, these are completely partisan, for the most part, completely partisan bills that the Democrats are trying to get rammed through. The first piece of legislation the author mentions is, quote, an assault weapons ban. On Thanksgiving, President Joe Biden said that he wanted Congress to pass an assault weapons ban during the lame duck session. The idea what we still allow semi-automatic weapons is purchased to be purchased is sick, end quote. Biden said at a Thanksgiving Day press conference in Nantucket, Massachusetts, just sick. It has no socially redeeming value, zero, none, not a single solitary rationale for it, except profit for gun manufacturers, end quote. And, you know, the author's really quick to point out here that Biden doesn't clearly define what he means. If he actually is trying to ban semi-automatic weapons, then that includes some handguns, some shotguns, a variety of weapons, not just uh, assault weapons, quote-unquote, that they've been talking about here in the past. And maybe he means it literally, semi-automatic weapons. But that <laughs> takes a lot of weapons, a lot of guns off the table. And I highly doubt he's saying something so controversial. So if you actually want to have these discussions about getting rid of certain weapons, you need to have a good understanding or at least be able to speak in certain terms about what you want gone and why you want it gone, not just sweeping generalizations about semi-automatic weapons. The next piece of legislation is, quote, the Electoral Count Act. Democrats are looking to change the Electoral Count Act. Some Democrats, however, want to see more widespread changes to the U.S. voting system to effectively federalize the process, end quote. And they've been trying to, they've wanted to do this for a while, not just Democrats, some Republicans as well, because they don't like how certain states run their elections. But this is really an attempt to undermine the sovereignty of the states. The Constitution outlines that the date of voting will be such, the second Tuesday in November, I believe is, sorry, the second Monday in November, I believe is how it's always outlined. And at the end of the day, the states will decide. It doesn't say that the federal government has any power to determine how elections will be done. It will be left up to the states. The states will decide how they do their elections. So to federalize it would be a great undermining of their sovereignty in, in their own elections and getting people into key positions that are necessary to run the state or the country.
The next one is an omnibus spending bill. Quote, the omnibus spending bill, the Biden administration is looking to drastically increase federal spending through a massive omnibus bill during the lame duck period. The administration asked for more than $47 billion to spend on aid to Ukraine, COVID, and other projects. And you're going to know my commentary on this one if you've listened to this podcast at all. It just seems irresponsible during this period of record inflation to be spending this much money. Are the causes justified? Maybe. But at the end of the day, that is a lot of money to pump into the economy. All right. And then the last one, which is a, a pretty big one, and I understand why the author left it till the end. Quote, amnesty for illegal immigrants. Congressional Democrats are seeking to codify the Deferred Action for Children Arrivals Program, or DACA, which would provide amnesty for illegal immigrants who came to the U.S. when they were children, end quote. And this amnesty would also include 3 million illegal immigrants, and they would be nationalized. And that is the single largest amnesty slash nationalization since the 1960s if it was to be passed in the form that they're talking about. Imagine 3 million brand new voters that have just magically been put on the voter ballot. And not that it's going to shift the demographics of the U.S. that much, but if you're willing to do it once, why wouldn't you be willing to do it again? Especially when this administration has had record numbers of immigrants, legal and illegal. And over time, they may say, well, we have another 3 million here living illegally. We need to provide amnesty so they can have access to the services that allow them to really take advantage of the American experience. And I'm not saying that's a bad rationale. I think at the end of the day, it's a rationale that comes down to empathy. If you really want the people who are coming here to not just live as second-class citizens, and you want them to be able to fully take advantage of the prosperity that America offers, then of course you're going to say, well, we need to make sure that they have a path to citizenship, if not outright citizenship, just by giving them amnesty or nationalizing them. So I think that while maybe it's out of the goodness of their hearts, Democrats are proposing legislation here that can have sweeping effects long term if they were to continue to do so. Then again, in the 1960s, when they nationalized a large majority, a large percentage of the uh, immigrant population, it didn't pan out and it didn't happen again for another 10 years or so, at least to a similar scale. So maybe the slippery soap fallacy is at play in here in my argument. But just it's an interesting last-minute proposal that they're trying to get through. And maybe if you have any thoughts about any of those, you can throw them down in the comments section below. All right, our second article comes from Common Dreams. Supreme Court Case 303 Creative is about power, not religious liberty. And I will note, when I first read this story, the headline went something more to the effect of uh, we need to be less reliant on the Supreme Court. And when I came back to it, the title had changed. So I thought that's, that's interesting. So with Elon taking over Twitter, freedom of speech has been a, let's just say hotly debated topic as of late. And the Supreme Court is hearing a case that could affect our view of freedom of speech going forward. Quote, the Supreme Court is hearing oral arguments in 303 Creative LLC versus Ellenis. 
to decide whether a Colorado web designer, Lori Smith, has a free speech right to refuse to make websites for same-sex couples and post a straight-only policy on her website. If that sounds familiar, it's because five years ago, the court heard Masterpiece Cake Shop versus Colorado, a case that attempted to use freedom of a religion rather than freedom of speech to achieve the same end, to permit Colorado Baker to refuse to make a wedding cake for a same-sex couple in violation of Colorado's Anti-Discrimination Act, end quote. And like the author pointed out here, this is taking a little bit of a, this case is taking a little bit of a different approach. In Masterpiece, it was about religious liberty. Uh, Do you have the right to impede upon my beliefs as a religious person and basically endorse your behavior? Because Christians see the marriage of a woman and a woman, a man and a man, they see it as sinful behavior. And in creating a cake for them or any product that's meant to symbolize that union, it, in the Christian's mind, is an endorsement of it, which is therefore an endorsement of sin. So from a Christian perspective, they don't want to do that. And do they have the right then to say, no, I'm not going to endorse your sin. You cannot force me to endorse your behavior that I think is sinful. This is taking more of a freedom of speech approach, which is can you mandate me, can you force me to say something that I don't believe? And at the end of the day, there are different approaches around the same issue. And I think that there are lots of activist groups that came after Masterpiece uh, Cake Shop in Colorado for years. And now that they have that notch underneath their belt. They're going for, instead of the religious freedoms, which they've already curtailed a little bit, now they're going for the freedom of speech argument, and they're trying to curtail that. I'm not saying it's a, like I said, I I always phrase these things, and they come out like they're conspiracy theories, but at the end of the day, if you're not aware of the political reality, there are activist groups that go around looking for issues that they can take to courts so that at the end of the day, they can have their beliefs codified in law and the fact that it's happening in Colorado is interesting I'm not saying it's connected I'm not saying it's a hundred percent these activist groups doing the same thing but I would not be surprised if it was so the author claims that the Supreme Court could use their this case to embed in law a version of Christian nationalism in air quotes quote 303 Creative has the potential to snowball into one of the most sweeping rollbacks of fundamental civil right protections in American history. If the Supreme Court accepts Smith's argument, it will essentially greenlight discrimination against entire groups of people that a business owner may find objectionable and prevent the government from intervening. A dance instructor could turn away a young Muslim girl who wears a hijab because she doesn't want to be seen as endorsing wearing a headscarf, end quote. And the author does go on to give a few other examples along the same lines, like a chef could say that they're not going to serve someone because of their religious beliefs. But all of these examples clearly violate the Civil Rights Act, which states that you can't discriminate based on the on race, gender, religion, national origin, etc., so I think the author's argument kind of falls apart there. And let's be clear, I'm not a lawyer, and maybe the Supreme Court coming down on this would somehow overrule the Civil Rights Act, but I 
pretty sure it doesn't. And unless they outright say the Civil Rights Act is unconstitutional, then there are going to be other chances for lawyers to come forward and say, well, if it's implemented in this way, then it violates the Civil Rights Act, and they'll have another court case about it. So I think the author's being a little bit hyperbolic here, and they're trying to grasp at straws to prove that at the end of the day, this may curtail some freedoms of certain persons in America. It won't fundamentally change every aspect of American society. It will have some effects, but it won't, like I said, it won't fundamentally change the U.S. society. And I think the author's grasping at straws trying to prove that it would so that people are a little bit more fearful of this case and will speak out against it. Though the author does raise the important question which is how involved should the government be in the private decisions of individuals when it involves their religion? At the end of the day, the government, or at least the Supreme Court, has taken the stance that in schools... So if you look at uh, Indiana, there have been lots of cases recently where schools have dismissed certain individuals because of their sexual orientation or things of that nature. And whenever it's brought to court, and it go, It went to some of them have gone to the Supreme Court in the past. The, pre, the Supreme Court has says if it's a religious institution, and this teacher in any way is helping to spread the message of the Lord or is helping to be a minister, then the Supreme Court will not get involved. They will not come down because at that point it's curtailing religious freedoms in America. So. If they're doing that for institutions of religion, how involved should they get on the individual level? It's a very interesting question that could have very broad sweeping effects across the nation. I do agree with the author in that case, not necessarily about how it will affect discrimination, but how it will affect the relationship between people being able to express their religion and law. And I know at the end of the day, it has been codified for... 250, 260 some years that the church and state will be separate. And some people may listen to this and say, oh, he's so ignorant. It already is separate. But it's really a question that we need to ask today because we are still a Christian nation, even if we don't want to admit it. Even if a lot of people don't go to church and don't hold Christian values, the values that created America, that allow America to be a free market society, a free market society does not, at the end of the day, it does not operate at its most efficient and it is not likely to succeed if you have people who are immoral and trying to take advantage of that free market system. It's only because of those immoral people that the government has had to step in and make it more of a mixed economy over time. So in the ideal, in a Christian society that actually values their religion and values some of the tenets put forth, in a Christian society, then that free market operates amazingly. It operates to the most efficient degree. And obviously, Christianity says that we are all fallen creatures. We're prone to sin. But at the end of the day, if you have a society that values the morals instilled in certain Christian religions, and even other religions that instilling you this responsibility to society, your family, to not harm others, then we have a system that would work amazingly. And as time has gone on, we've drifted away from Christianity, and we've seen that people truly are sinners and have evil in their heart or have it out for themselves. The government has had to step in 
and that's why we have more of a mixed economy now. So religion has always played a big role, and the foundation of America was based on the idea that we would be a Christian nation. So we can't run away from the fact that this is a key issue, even if we as a society have moved on from the Christian values that we used to hold so dear. All right, I ranted a little bit too long there and didn't necessarily get philosophical, but was looking more of it at the big picture, so I probably lost some people. So let's go back to something that will interest the younger viewers. This one comes from Axios. FBI director warns of possible influence operations via TikTok. Ooh, TikTok stealing your data. We already know that. TikTok is the single most popular new, and I put new in air quotes, social media app, being the fastest to reach 1 billion users, taking the metal away from Facebook. Over the years, concerns have definitely been raised about how much control, or more accurately, how much data the Chinese government can collect from the users of TikTok. Quote, FBI Director Chris Wray warned Friday that TikTok is controlled by a Chinese government that doesn't share our values and could, quote, use it for influence operations. The big picture. The population video sharing app has served as a point of concern for U.S. officials for years, despite the platform's move to distance itself from its Chinese parent company. National security, security worries continue to hound TikTok especially as Chinese President Xi Jinping enters his third term, end quote. And the thing that it brings up here, which I think is very important, it can not only collect data, but it can also change the algorithms and the way that content is presented to its users. And this is an issue that before a lot of people were talking about this, uh, or the algorithm, the, the idea that the Chinese Communist Party could, in theory, push more controversial content, before this was really brought up by a, in the mainstream culture, I was listening to a few people that kind of tiptoed around this idea, and I brought it up on the podcast, and I think it's the scariest part. Collecting data on users, there are already companies that do that, and the Chinese Communist Party, if they really wanted to, could buy that data. Then again, they don't have to spend the money to buy that data if they get it from TikTok. But at the end of the day, that data is still accessible somewhere. The more scary part is the effect they could have on culture long term. Imagine an entire generation growing up on a social media platform where only two videos a day, two videos a day are controversial, political, divisive, something like that in nature. And over time, it's going to give this perception. It's either going to push them to one side or it's going to give this perception that things are getting worse, that we are more divided. So over time, this shapes the these kids' worldviews, this generation's worldviews. And at the end of the day, the Chinese Communist Party could even push content that is provenly false for people, like pro-obesity content or uh, pro-thick content where, oh, it's okay, it's okay to eat an obscene amount of food and just, oh, it's my body, I can do what I want. It's your body, you can do what you want, but at the end of the day, that's not going to help American society if all of us are overweight and we can't go out there and fight on the world stage. So over time, over vast stretches of time, which is what the Communist Party is looking at, they're not looking at five years, they're not looking at ten years, they're, they have a 20, 25, 30-year view. 
So over time, they could totally shift the way that American people view their society. And it's extremely dangerous, and it's an extremely powerful tool. So, you know, when we get certain quotes coming out from the leaders of the company that say, oh, no, the, the Chinese Communist Party has very little, they have no access to the information, we're based in America, I think that we need to do a, a very deep audit. We need to understand how their algorithms are conformed. We need to understand where their access points are so that the people who are in putting in place these algorithms can it be accessed from ByteDance in China, things of this nature. We need to have this understanding because at the end of the day, social media is what kids nowadays absolutely love. It's what they grow up on. It's what they go on when they get home from school. It's what they're obsessed with. And it can shape the future culture. At the end of the day, these trends could either prove beneficial. We could be pushing content that's educational in nature. Or there could be content that is pushed that is drama-filled and makes people care about all the wrong things and value all the wrong goals. So... Just something to keep in mind. The FBI is looking into them. And there, I just saw this morning a headline. Didn't read the actual article, so I'm not going to pretend to know everything. But the headline read, The government is proposing a bill to ban TikTok for all government officials. Which I wouldn't be surprised. They've tried to get this legislation through before. And both Trump and Biden have both issued executive orders to the nature of TikTok being a problem, essentially. All right, with that out of the way and talking about the existential problems of America's future, let's talk about our daily delight. This one comes from the Animal Rescue site. The adorable Pine Marken is making a comeback in England. So we as a species have pushed many animals to the brink of extinction. But we have, through hard work, brought some off the edge of that cliff. Quote, a cat-sized predator known as a pine marten has started to make a comeback in the south of England after teetering on the brink of extinction. It is hoped that doing so will help restore some balance to the forest between red squirrels and gray squirrels. The good news comes after scientists found evidence pine martens are breeding in the new forest, end quote. And it's good to see what we can do when we as a people come together and put our mind to something that we can actually achieve it. This has been a long ongoing effort in Britain quote with funding from DEFRA over the last two years, researchers at forestry England have been setting camera traps in the new forest after reporting reports began to surface of pine martens in the area. Now those involved with the conservation effort have revealed that they are confident with the population, though still small, is breeding and growing steadily. To back this up, more than 100 videos of the mammal were captured on in 2022, including some showing kits playing together. And some of these videos are extremely cute of these little guys, I'm not going to lie. And if you want to see any of the cute videos or photos or read any of today, find any of today's articles, they will be linked in the description below that like and subscribe button. Down there is also the Twitter handle, at your daily flip. If you want to go over there, give it a follow. Try to put out news daily, retweet, commentary. And on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, got the link to the podcast posted so you don't have to come to YouTube. You can go directly from there. 
But with all that said, there's only one more thing to say. Stay safe. Don't die.